Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another episode of the Innkeeper's Guestbook Podcast. I am the illustrious hostess with the mostest, Innkeeper Freddie. Give you the rundown. Union Inn, 1112, 1114, 3rd Street, Northeast, Washington, D.C. Steps to the Noma Gallaudet Metro. Nice little leisurely brisk walk to Union Station. And nice leisurely jog to Capitol Hill in the Capitol. Supreme Court where all that stuff happens. We have a very, very, very special guest here at the end. The illustrious, the illustrious Eve George Joseph. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm humbled. Don't do it, man. Don't believe everything you hear, folks. But um, You hear that voice? Blessings. You hear that voice right there? Blessings, blessings. That is is a voice of uh, a man who is going to accomplish a lot of things in life. Yeah. One step at a time, man. One step at a time. So recently, um, well, I don't know recently, but um, he has uh, definitely thrown himself all the way in into a new, would you call it hobby of yours? Or is it more than a hobby? Yeah, no, I don't really believe in hobbies. Um, to me, hobby connotates, you know, half-hearted, um, low commitment, um, there's like a third wheel element to me when people say hobby um interest kind of pursuit discipline yeah you're probably talking about cycling yes my I guess am. captain bike man over here yeah 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 so no not not a, not a hobby but um a passion and a pursuit um something that i've committed myself to and um yeah man enjoying it getting a ton out of it for sure how'd you get into it um so my pops was a cyclist uh, I don't. It's funny, right? So probably would cast, classify him as a hobbyist cyclist, contrary to everything I just outlined for you. Um, yeah, man. So we grew up, and he was always watching Tour de France. Um, kind of exposed us to it at an early age. He had a couple good bikes that he would uh, ride. Not as much when we were born as probably before we were born. But I do recall in my early childhood going on bike rides with my brother and my dad like around the reservoir i have no idea how far we went probably no more than five or maybe 10 miles max but um kind of introduced to the idea of it as a child and then um in college kind of bought my first bike thinking i just wanted to ride around campus and just have a way to kind of commute and travel a little bit and you know i just never 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 lost it never never lost the bike never lost the interest never lost the passion and kind of picked it up in earnest probably four years ago i would say uh with the same bike i bought in college and then just recently kind of upgraded from my raleigh to a real bike and that's been even a kind of different experience but super cool what's your real bike now what's my real bike you said you upgraded from that bike to yeah a real bike. yeah so what's the real bike now um so it's a custom made uh carrera out of italy okay and um all the componentry is, you know, the best. So if someone were a bike enthusiast listening to this, what are the characteristics of the Carrera that make it that good bike? Um, so a bike enthusiast would appreciate the, um, obviously the carbon frame, super, super light. Um, the frame is kind of a hybrid between a touring bike and an aero bike. And so for me, I wanted a bike that um, was kind of an all-purpose. I, I use the term one ski quiver because for skiers, if you don't have multiple sets of skis, 
you want one ski that's kind of versatile in a lot of environments. And so I wanted a bike that would be versatile in a lot of environments. Not a specialist anywhere, but but solid everywhere. And so this bike has aero um, features, which make it super fast downhill and on the flats. And it's super light um, and comfortable, so it can go uphill and it can go for long distances. And um, super record uh, Campagnolo componentry, deep, deep uh, profile wheels. I mean, bike people would understand what all that means, and non-bike people would be like, yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, like you said, tur- touring bike versus aero bike. What is the difference? What's that? You said uh, like a you wanted something that's both like it, it can function as a, tur- a touring bike yeah. as well as an aero bike. And I'm yeah. saying for those like me that really are unfamiliar with the whole biking like everything that goes into biking, what is the difference between those two? Yeah, I mean, so a touring bike would be a bike that is focused on comfort. Okay. Right? The idea is that if you're touring, you're in the saddle for long durations, you know, 100 to 150 miles, which means, you know, six to eight hours of riding. And, um, you know, when you're on a bike for that period of time, comfort is maybe the most important thing that you'll be thinking about. And so that has everything to do with the stiffness of the frame, your positioning on the bike as it relates to your, you know, your posture. Um, so touring bikes are going to be much more focused on kind of those elements, whereas kind of an aero bike is just for speed freaks. So you kind of throw comfort and posture and all those things out the window. And it's like, how do I get in the most aerodynamic position and um, with the most aerodynamic um, profile of the bicycle as well as the rider positioned on it to go fast? Okay. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned uh, growing up the reservoir. Where is this reservoir? Yeah, I couldn't even tell you. Um, You know, my brother has a much better memory than me, so he probably could tell you the GPS coordinates. I mean, what city Um, or what state? It's it's Southern California, probably somewhere around Santa Ana. Okay. And so you grew up in Southern California, and I also know you grew up in Chicago as well. Yeah. And so tell us that whole story. Yeah, I mean, simple, man. You know, my pops got a job, and I was actually born in Chicago. Okay. And uh, Michael Reese Hospital, Southside, what's up? Um Pops got a job that, um, you know, in the 80s was a very, you know, great career move worth uprooting the family. So with a new one year old and, a you know, relatively new marriage, uh, moved everybody to Cali and, um, you know, got out to Cali and, you know, Cali's an interesting place. You know, my, my parents, you know, unfortunately, they didn't make it, you know, as it relates to that relationship. And so, you know, they separated. My mother ended up coming back to Chicago. And, you know, over time, I ultimately went back to Chicago to kind of spend some time with her. Okay. But, um, yeah. Okay. So you grew up in Southern California and then Chicago as well. Yeah. So Southern California was through seventh grade, mm-hmm. really sixth grade. Okay. And then in the middle of seventh grade, I moved to, um, Illinois Crete. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, you spent those years there and then you got accepted into Harvard university. Uh, yeah, you know, um, and, Harvard and Stanford for sure. Okay, and, to two schools, and you and you chose Harvard. Yeah, it was. It kind of was. Um, it just happened, right? So I applied to two schools, got into both. I applied to Harvard early, and Stanford took forever to give me my acceptance. So I mean, I had a acceptance to Harvard in probably November mm-hmm. of my. When you get accepted, senior year or junior year? I can't even remember. Uh, senior year. So about November that, of my year. junior year, I had an acceptance to Harvard that okay. I was sitting on. Okay. And, you know, I went to visit there for uh, what they call pre-frosh weekend and, you know, just had a blast, man. The community, the people that I encountered during that weekend was, was so welcoming, just just so dynamic and just 
you know, really unclassifiable. It was just an extraordinary experience. By the time I had come back from that event, it was it was just over. It was just over. And so, you know, Stanford ended up giving me an acceptance sometime in the spring. And, you know, it was great. It was like, wonderful. I got a good letter. But it, the decision had been made months prior. Okay. And so you did your four years there. And um, when you came out, I think you told me an interesting story a while ago where you had said that um, you knew you wanted to get into real estate development at some point uh, while you were at Harvard. And you were just trying to figure out how to how to break into it because there wasn't really a roadmap for it at the time, something like that. And um, I guess first, what what drew you to real estate to begin with? And then how did you find your way to, I guess, where you are now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, where I am now. Well, maybe not the most interesting part of the story, but in terms of uh, what drew me to real estate, it was just inspiration. Um, and it's I consider it like one of my greatest blessings. I, I, I consider myself a man of many blessings. I think I have more than my fair share, um, much more than my fair share. But um, it was just it was just inspiration. Um, there were really two kind of defining moments. And this is going to sound maybe a little ridiculous, but um one was a dream. I really, really woke up. Uh, I can't remember the date or the year. I told you that my memory is not the greatest, but, um, you know, just had a dream of a residential master plan community that I had developed. Um, and it was kind of had a pretty hokey name, pretty uncreative name. It was like the Joseph Estates or something stupid. Um, it's not stupid. But um, yeah, had a dream about having accomplished development of you know, a big kind of residential gated community. I thought that was kind of cool. So it kind of, it could put a question in my brain. Um, But the tangible thing that I could point to uh, that really moved that inspiration forward was just my time and experience in downtown Chicago, kind of working there over years and uh, spending a ton of time kind of walking through what I consider the city with the most beautiful skyline in the world. Although you get a lot of argument from a lot of East Coasters on, on that one. Um, but yeah, just walking around, kind of looking up, right? I used to always, I'm, I always look up at buildings, at nature. And um, I just recall it was a, a foggy day. I was on my way to some internship uh, working downtown. And I found myself in front of the uh, John Hancock building and standing right in front of the building, kind of craning my neck as much as you can possibly do it, looking straight up at a building that literally disappeared into the fog and the clouds. And um, I just asked myself, you know, how did that get here? Right. I mean, you go to you go to school as a high school kid or a or a small child and they teach you how plants grow. They teach you how birds are come out of eggs. They teach you, you know, where, you know, you know, animals come from. Um, but how did the building get there was kind of a question that I asked myself and who was responsible for it? You know, how many people were involved? How did it happen? Something this enormous, this kind of magnificent, this monumental that will, you know, endure for a long, 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 long period of time. And, um, you know, just started chasing that, that question, really trying to answer it. Um, over time and you know as I kind of went deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole just unveiled a just a passion and an interest and really um, kind of a marriage a compatibility with 
with me, like what, what I'm good at, like my, what my skills are, what my interests are and, um, kind of this really dynamic profession and industry and field that is super demanding and would keep me kind of engaged for a very long time trying to be successful. Okay. And so coming out of Harvard, um, you worked at, I believe, a real estate development consulting firm, correct? <laughs> yeah. RCL Co. Okay. And little that, plug there for those guys. <laughs> how'd you, uh, happen into that? Blessings. Okay. Yeah. My, my, um, you know, what's, what's there's the HBO film you like random acts of flyness. Oh yeah. My life is a series of random acts of kindness Okay. from the man upstairs. No doubt. And, um, I suppose they're not so random, but, um, this particular one is, uh, I mean, it's still, it's still kind of mind bending to me to this day as I kind of tell the story very infrequently, but I found that job on accident. Okay. Like a complete act of serendipity. I think that's the right word. Um, you know, coming out of coming out of undergrad, you know, uh, there were just a bunch of career pathways, um, and most of them were kind of cookie cutter, spelled out for you, really plug and play. Like you're you're super smart, you people. You're talented. You're you're accomplished and qualified. Choose your adventure, and here is how you get there. Whether it's management consulting or law or medicine, or um, i banking was a big one. Um, if you wanted to be an educator, if you were pursuing um, kind of a PhD program as an academic, you know, that, that pathway was very much defined. Um, but what I found for, when I said I wanted to be a real estate developer is that there, I got blank stares. Um, no one, one really understood what that meant, even, even amongst the folks that kind of a place like the Office of Career Services. Um, but they certainly had no idea kind of how to, how, how to provide an access or an entree into, into something like that. Um, so, you know, my professor at the graduate school of design, Rick Pizer, um, was, was really helpful. And, um, you know, he tried to, as much as he could put me in a position to be able to, um, you know, find, find an entree into the, into the field. And so what, what it really was, was meeting people he knew in his network. And so literally I took dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of meetings um with random people throughout kind of the northeast who were more you know giving me information about the industry but um but in some cases you know offering positions and so forth um but nothing interesting nothing really stuck nothing really ended up making sense and so i mean i i I recall distinctly it's literally march or april of senior year and um everybody's placed all my peers are getting these ridiculous signing bonuses from these kind of amazing jobs and you know they're buying the bar and they're partying and celebrating and i'm you know about to be homeless and i can't go home and ma's not gonna let me back in so i mean i gotta figure something out and i'm running i'm like out of time right like literally they're gonna tell me to move my bags out of uh, the dorm in like three or four weeks and i don't even have a lead not a second round interview, not a third. I don't have anything, not even a name. And um, so one day I just literally am in my dorm room and an email pops through on my uh, my FAS email account that says, congratulations, uh, we would like to invite you for a second round interview at RCL Co. And I open this thing. I'm like, man, this is like the beginning when spam and stuff and viruses were like kind of crazy. It's like, man, what what is this? I don't 
I don't have an interview of first round, so how can I be invited for a second round? But so I click it and it says real estate advisors. I said, well, real estate is kind of my thing. I what 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 it what's going on here? So I, I click on the thing, I go to their website and find out that RCL Co is essentially like the McKinsey of real estate. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the analog, right? They are to real estate what McKinsey is to to, to business. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, wow. And I had I had an extensive history of um, doing. Uh, management consulting internships throughout undergrad so there was like a skills skills match you know for me so i was like man this is super interesting um so the way i got this email is that there was some other guy who i never met that was in my undergrad class who i don't know to this day who interviewed and got the response to the interview uh for some reason they accidentally sent me the email that was intended for him. Wow. Right? Because my email was joseph at fas.harvard.edu, so super clean. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people had dot joseph or joseph14 or whatever. Yeah. And I had the clean joseph at fas.harvard.edu, yeah. like super random, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I get this email and I'm like, man, it sounds interesting. I don't have a job, but I, these guys seem like great people to work with. So, you know, I literally follow up and reach out and I say, look, you guys invited me to a second round interview. Um, you got the wrong guy, but I would love to come meet you if you'd have me. Mm-hmm. And so, needless to say, they invited me down. I ended up winning the job, and um, that was kind of the beginning of the beginning for sure. That is amazing! Wow, truly the man upstairs doing work right there. <laughs> so that was in Washington D.C., correct? Yeah, that's how I got here. Okay, um, and you were with them for a number of years, and I believe. You did such an amazing stellar job that uh, one of your clients wanted to hire you direct, right? Yeah, that that's 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 right. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know about the stellar job part, but certainly uh, one of my clients, um, yeah, brought me in, and you know, it was really a cool thing for me because I always wanted to be kind of on the equity side, right? I always wanted to be an owner. You know, being a consultant is a great way to kind of build your skills, but the, the reason you're in the game is to, to do deals. And so it was an opportunity for me to kind of realize that, kind of move my career to the next step and took it. All right. Um, and then you and I both were in school together, grad school together at yeah, Columbia. Man. Uh, you and the those were some school. fun times. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. I think I think that might be the only time I had more fun than you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you actually might be right. I know that I was in the library yeah. a lot of nights. I yo. kicked it. Okay. Um, but yeah, had a really 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 good time. Um, and uh, both graduated, came out, and then um, a few years later, you transitioned into your current role at a uh, uh, R R J. Yeah, RJ Development. RJ Development. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And so you all are based in New Haven? New Haven. Okay. Yeah, yeah, New Haven. Well, give us the rundown. Give us the rundown. Yeah, there's no rundown, man. It's just um entrepreneurship, man. That's really what it comes down to. Um It was it's kind of in my blood, like all the way back, all the generations on all the sides. Um kind of owning what you do is really a big piece of it and my entire career has been about trying to get closer and closer and closer to ownership, right? Even from the consulting deal to, you know, working for an owner uh, and then becoming a partner with that owner and now owning my own business, my own firm, um, in addition to a lot of hard assets. Um, It's really just kind of another step on the timeline, another step 
um, towards kind of realizing realizing that vision. So now we have our, our business. We're a year and a half old and we're doing well, man. It's, 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 it's blessed. You know, entrepreneurship is super, super rewarding. Um, amazingly challenging. Amazingly. You know, a lot of the challenges that you encounter, um, people don't really tell you about going yeah. in. Uh, they never, want to talk never about ever get the right answer. business plans and balancing an account and HR, which are all like really important issues, um, marketing and business development. But the biggest challenge to me of you know entrepreneurship is uh, it's really it's emotional. Um, it's a very kind of personal. Um, it's a very isolated experience. Um, and as you encounter challenges, which inevitably come um, as an entrepreneur, you find that you have to really deliberately install kind of infrastructure and people around you to build a support network um, because you're 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 alone. Um, but um, but the rewards of kind of the, the freedom, just the, um, the autonomy, the independence, are overwhelmingly compensatory for for kind of some of those other challenges that you That's have to manage. Truth. That's the truth. Yeah. So, um, is there a specific property type you all focus on? Um, all property types that make money. That's the specific <laughs> property type we focus on. All right. We all don't right. do brothels though. Don't do brothels. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. I'll make a I'll make a mental note of that. Yeah, there you go. Um, so cool. So any projects in the hopper right now that you all are working on? Yeah, we got a ton of stuff. Um we got a ton of stuff. So we're working on a multifamily project in New Haven. Um, we have a hotel transaction. That's really the last phase of a three-phase master plan uh, that we're trying to complete. Uh, we just brought on board for a big um, master plan development, probably be 600,000 square feet um, urban revitalization of a, um, a, a, you know, disinvested kind of historically black community. Okay. Um, and, you know, we're working on going on board with a hospital system to help them build out um, a pretty significant amount of real estate over the next couple of years. So medical office. Yeah. Medical office, outpatient facilities, um, et cetera. But, um, you know, starting to RJ starting to kind of get its get its sea legs for sure. All right. Good. And we're excited about it. And um, are you pretty much focused in New Haven or are you focused in other areas across the states? Yeah, right now, New Haven, for sure, um, because, you know, our, our world is there, our business is there, you know, a lot of our communities are there. Um, but it is definitely our plan to kind of diversify and expand um, throughout the eastern seaboard, maybe starting in the northeastern United States. Um, but But for now, Connecticut, because it's it's straightforward it makes more sense we can more actively and easily monitor the stuff we're involved in but the vision is to do much bigger stuff and kind of a much more diverse uh, geographical set for sure okay last question before we get to the seven questions uh 10 years from now where do you see rj yourself everything uh, yeah i don't I, I can't do that one for you unfortunately <laughs> i'm not trying to dodge your questions but one day at a time for me man gotcha yeah okay oh cool where do you hope to be? How about that? Alive, healthy, not on cholesterol medication. Hey, amen to that right there. <laughs> amen to that right there. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, you ready for seven questions? Do it. All right, book to add to the library downstairs. You already have it. What is it? It's the Black Jacobins. Okay, tell us about it. Um, so the Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James, James is um, 
it's a historical text uh, that attempts to recount the history of the Haitian, uh, the successful uh, Haitian revo uh, revolution slave revolt uh, that, uh, that um, culminated in the independence of Haiti uh, from the French who colonized Haiti in the year of 1804. And it's a very, very, very detailed uh, account of um, that, that period in Haitian history from the beginning um, unsuccessful kind of versions of, of that revolution all the way through you know, to Saint Louverture's ultimate uh, successful overthrow of, um, of the French in Haiti. And, um, you know, for me, the book is, is, is really important for, for me as a, as a person, um, as a man of Haitian descent, as well as for, um, really all, all blacks, because I think when you look at the history of the world, um, you have all these accounts of Europeans, uh, claiming, their rightful freedoms, independences, whether it's through creating their nation states, defending their nation states over time to kind of create an autonomous, independent um, political body, geographic area for their people to thrive. And you don't have a countervailing example um, that's successful for people of color. And so for me, the Black Jacobins is a, just a direct example and case study that folks should be exposed to uh, just as a point of pride to know that, you know, we have an ability to kind of create um, independent, independent uh, places and spaces for ourselves. Okay. Uh, podcasts to subscribe to besides this one, of course. So I don't do podcasts either. Um, so... Um, I mean, you know, I don't really do podcasts. I read books, um, but I do love uh, Will Bond and Kornheiser. Okay, pardon the interruption. Pardon the interruption. Who has a podcast? Yeah. But I don't listen to their podcast. I actually record religiously their thirty-minute um, PTI on PTI show on demand and mm -hmm. watch it every day. Um, Nicole would would attest to that because she's probably. I even start to dress like Will Bond at times, so it's like kind of <laughs> almost like an obsession. Uh, another fellow Chicagoan as well. Yeah. Hilarious, yeah. No, but um, it's good. I mean, it, you, you watch that show pretty much every day. You're pretty much kept abreast of the the leading topics. You got it. Thirty minutes, yeah. and it's it's funny. It's it's pithy. Mm -hmm. It's to the point. Yeah, yeah. All right, number three. Something you didn't know that you needed until you got it. People. Okay, please elaborate. Yeah, and this, so this is it's funny, right? Because you you think that it's it's obvious you just need people right you're born and you're a baby and without your parents who are people um you know you can't really do anything so it almost seems obvious but why that is kind of my response is i think for people who experience high levels of success at early um, stages of their life and particularly if they experience success that they can, you know, directly attest to their efforts and energies. Um, those types of people, I think, become really self-reliant. Um, and I think they overestimate the ability uh, that they will have to maintain and perpetuate that success on their own without the aid of, of others. And so in my path and kind of in my 
career and in my life, um, just from like interpersonal relationships and so forth, what's just become overwhelmingly clear is that we don't do any of it alone. Even if you think or thought you did, there are dozens of dozens of people that you can directly point to around you and maybe a lot of more people who you can't point to who came before you who are directly contributing to and responsible for for your success and so as more people came into my life over time um, and helped move me forward it became overwhelmingly more clear how important it is to have those people and other people like them to continue to reach kind of higher levels of achievement, you know, greatness, whatever kind of word you'd want to put on it. But, um, yeah, until I started to get people, I didn't really know how much I needed people. And now I know that I really am not much of anything without them. That's a great answer. Number four, bucket list place to travel. This is a place in the world that you have been that you would recommend the listeners add to their bucket list. Africa, right? It's a and pretty large place. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a non-answer. Um, <laughs> Is there a specific country or even city I in can Africa? Give you, I can give you a couple, but I, I think people just need to go to Africa, right? <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I just think that for a lot of people just don't have a conception of, of what that continent means in terms of size. A lot of people don't even understand that. Yeah. You most, know, most globes don't accurately even show. Yeah, they don't understand yet. like the magnitude of, of, of Africa and how many countries it has in it, how many cities it has in it, what how the many, population, and the how many other continents biological, you could fit inside ecological of it. diversity. Yeah. The, um, I don't know what's what would you call human diversity that's in that continent. I mean, it's it's just extraordinary, and I think that just to go wherever people go, um, put foot on that soil where people came from, right? Man came from there. Um, is just relevant, right? Outside of any specific place you may choose to go. I think that's a little bit less relevant than getting there. Um, but if you ask me of a specific place, I mean, I've been to South Africa, uh, Cape Town and Johannesburg. And I think there's just a myriad reasons why folks should just experience that. One, it's, you know, from my perspective, the most beautiful place in the world. Wow. Um, just in terms of, you know, biological, ecological diversity, um, being able to swim with sharks and whales and then go see lions um, within a, I don't know, two or three hour period. Wow. There's not many places in the world where you can, and then go see penguins as well, um, where you can do that. Um, the beaches are just stunning and amazing and just the whole place is tremendous. And then there's this whole social backdrop to that beauty, which is, you know, pretty ugly, yeah. right? So you kind of have this, um, it's almost like a dichotomy, right? This kind of battle between this visually stimulating, sensory stimulating experience because the place is just so amazing. And then the way that the history of people and their interactions in that place, which certainly persists to this day, mm -hmm. is just extraordinarily challenging. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think Cape Town um, is a place that you should check out. Um, I also did um, Senegal, Dakar, and saw like the door of no return where the slave ships literally docked and loaded slaves as cargo, where you get to go through the slave castles and see, um, you know, the conditions that slaves were held in. And I saw grown men broke down into tears. And it's really just life altering stuff. And then you can also kind of take it a little more chill and go to Egypt and see the Great Pyramids, which is just the history of man, quite, quite simply. 
um, or just so see a, see the Great Migration in Kenya, uh, Tanzania. Yeah. Um, there's tons of options, but I think people should just go see Africa because it's just a place that's just so relevant to the history of of humanity and just such a wealth of of stuff there that I think a lot of people don't really appreciate. I think it's Africa's kind of put into a box, very small box that it can't fit in. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, 50 mile detour restaurant so this is a restaurant anywhere in the world where if you're going from point A to point B and you are within 50 miles of this restaurant it would make sense for you to detour off of your intended path of travel just to go to this restaurant does my mom's kitchen count? <laughs> can you buy a dish there? Uh, I'm sure she'll sell you something <laughs> <laughs> we're entrepreneurs man <laughs> well I, th- I think that would probably be everybody's answer you know everybody's mom's cooking is the best right? yeah <laughs> But an actual formal restaurant, though. So uh, I'll just have to say because, you know, um, I'm a sweet tooth. People who know me know I'm a sweet tooth. It'd probably be the death of me. But it will be Baker Square uh, for a French silk pie. Okay. Where's Baker Square? There are, there's, it's a chain. It's like, um, I mean, it's like uh, Applebee's. Okay. Right? But it's, um, they're in the West Coast and I know they're in the Midwest. Okay. And so whenever I go home for Thanksgiving, I go there before I get to my mom's house and I bring like eight pies. Okay. We'll get four French silk and four pecan mm-hmm. and they won't make it two days. Yeah. That's but that's my right. place, man. Okay. And you said it's Baker's Square? Baker's Square okay. for a French silk pie. Okay. All right. Number six, what is your number one skill? Your number um, one honed craft. Honed craft, skill. Um, honed craft skill um it has to be probably developing real estate okay uh i get it could also be you know saxophone playing because that's a honed craft okay tell us about that um what saxophone playing yes because we didn't get into that and that was something i did did need to touch on um yeah man i played saxophone when did you what did you start uh seventh grade okay and you did that all the way pretty much through college right I did, man, and I almost um, made a career out of it. Okay. I literally had a bit of a crisis moment um, where I, I wanted to play, man. And a couple of my, a lot of my buddies actually from from school are playing now: Louis Fouché, Marcus Miller, um, Kyle Nasser, um, all all int- uh, musicians you should check out. Um, they're all playing, and I wanted to be among them playing. But um, you know, my mom was not shy about reminding me about. Um, the amount of money she spent on my education and these things called student loans that had to be paid back. So she demanded that I get a real job. Yeah. And so that kind of happened. But <laughs> um, So I know you mentioned that kind of Harvard was kind of a, a, a decision that you had made quite early on um, in high school. But had you ever given any consideration to schools like, uh, say, Manhattan School of Music or Juilliard or anything like that with respect to making a career out of being a musician? So that's I still might do that. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, if they would take an old fogey with, you know, a receding hairline. You got a receding um, hairline, dude. I would, uh, I would absolutely consider um, going to like New England Conservatory or um, the McLean Institute in Hartford um, and, and studying for real with real discipline to kind of see how far I could get that thing. Mm-hmm. Um but absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I never thought about doing that in place of an academic institution like a um, like Harvard, where I went. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I absolutely have and do think about doing it as kind of the next phase of my kind of education. You still play the Fender you have? I still have the Fender, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> He's got a Fender Rhodes at his house, like, for real. Like a real Fender. Um, so, yeah, cool. Did you ever compose music? Like, Oh, know? yeah, man. I, I wrote a song um, for my high school graduation. Oh, wow. And we performed it with, uh, it, was, it was quartet or sextet. Um, no, no, no. Quartet or quintet. Because, let's see. So, there was two horns, three horns. Yeah, trombone, alto. I was on tenor, and then we had a trio. So, that's a sextet, right? Yeah. Um performed at our graduation from high school okay and then you know wrote some other stuff in college and stuff like that so what was the name of the song for high school um it was untitled actually um when i wrote it uh i think i i named it initially song for pat okay and pat is my mom okay patricia okay and you know i love the song how it came out but i didn't feel like that was the right name for that particular song so song for for Pat is still to be continued, but um, yeah, I think it was untitled. I don't think I named it. You ever thought about? So have you have you written enough songs to have an album's worth? Um, well, it's jazz, right? So all I have to do is solo for forty five minutes. <laughs> have a, an album that is hilarious. <laughs> You're absolutely right, though. You could do that. <laughs> just bam, just keep going. Right. But um, yeah. So okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess what was that? Uh, 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 kind of blue, Miles Davis it was like what four or five, six tracks. Yeah, I don't know how many, but that's a classic record. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, number seven, number one talent, innate proficiency. Learning. Okay. Yeah, I've been blessed to be good at learning. Fortunately, I can't remember what I learned, <laughs> but I'm good at learning it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. All right, man. Um, you got any websites or any social media or anything you want to plug? Uh, no. But if you um, need a developer, you can call RJDA. <laughs> or if you need a horn player at your next uh, wedding event or <laughs> entertaining event, you can you can hit me up. We'll play the horn. <laughs> what's What's the website address? for the development company oh it's just rjda llc okay dot com yeah all right cool all right well thank you so much for for coming on the podcast eve blessings man you're my family bro happy to be here with you love you brother you too man on behalf of eve this is innkeeper freddie thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time